0: yeah you guys hi it's 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 so good to, to see to see you I, I keep saying that but i i mean it's been weeks of 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 wildness for our family and we're going to do something a little different today first uh, corinthians is where we are as a church we're going through paul's letter to corinth and we're gonna we're gonna be in first corinthians 6 uh, next week okay next week, it, because uh, what the elders and the leaders of this of this church, we kind of all prayed and, and realized that there's something, there's a gift that God has for us to process through kind of uh, what my wife and what I have walked, kind of walked through the last month. And a lot of you've been praying for her and I thank you for that. And so today we're basically going to take a moment and, um, and, and, and we're going to invite you into our journey. Basically, I think, uh, Benji alluded to that last last week, and we're going to do that today. Um, part of that is because, you know, we had a 15-minute, like, a testimony of our lives to share, and then I didn't know how to, like, transition into 1 Corinthians 6, which is all about, like, how the church doesn't, isn't supposed to sue each other or fornicate. And so like, and so, I didn't know how to make that transition in, in, in one gathering, so we're just going to separate them cleanly, and we're going to focus on uh, the content of First Corinthians Six next week for that reason. And so uh, for today, you guys, I want to say we love that you're here. If you're new, welcome. If this is your first time with Park Hill, welcome. We have a Connect Desk it's back, okay? Before COVID, we had a connect area in the back of the room when we were in that building. Uh, But now we have that desk. It's pulled outside and it's over there by the wall where the coffee used to be. So if you desire to get more connected to the life of this church or figure out what that even means, we're a church that gathers on Sunday and we scatter throughout the city in communities. Feel free to get connected over there for that. Um, so, like I said, we're praying this week and talking as leaders, and, and Sandy and I uh, have decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the talking here, uh, and she, she basically created these notes with me, we've decided to give what I hope is not just a personal update, but uh, also a prophetic encouragement born out of our journey to open the door for hope and healing to fill, to fill our lives, your life in this moment. Um, that's why I welcomed you. If you're new, uh, this we're we're going going deep together. This is a family discussion, and you are welcome. Uh, I want to start though by reading through a psalm that has brought our family some peace this last month, Psalm one thirty nine. So if you could turn in your Bible, like your Bible, that's awesome. Turn in your Bible to Psalm one thirty nine, and we're gonna walk through this beautiful song, three millennia old, and this has sustained God's people for that long. The psalmist writes, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Let's just let that soak in. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. <laughs> so that, that Psalm, we come to it humbly. We don't, we, we, we're tempted to come to it with our enlightened, Western, affluent, progressive lenses. And we forget that Psalms, the whole Bible, in fact, was written by those that experienced daily more suffering than you and I can imagine. The Bible was written by the underclass. The Bible was written by the oppressed and the afflicted. And we have a problem now because we come to chapters like this and we think, there's no culture barrier. It's just talking to me. And we, we read verses like, Away from me, you, you who are bloodthirsty. Lord, I hate those who hate you. We read these strong language, these strong moments of strong language, and, we, and, we, and we, we feel like there's intolerance in the water or something. But that's because we come to the Bible with our enlightened, progressive, dare I say, western, often white lenses. And we forget that this book was written by those who had the oppressors boot on their necks. And just 600 years ago, the amount of suffering the average European faced in their family was, was unimaginable to us today. You have households where if you're, if you're, if you're 10 years old and still living in Europe, uh, you're, you're lucky during many centuries the suffering of other generations in other places so unmatched. So we come, to, we come to psalms like these, and it's easy to just make it a magnet for our fridge, a promise that makes us feel good over breakfast in the morning or whatever. Um, but we need to come to the scriptures humbly. And this year has uh, been painful in a lot of ways for a lot of people. 2020 has been a year of loss, you guys. Right? I mean, I'll go out on a limb and guess that most of us are just reeling right now in many ways. Uh, It's kind of like 2020, uh, like, is a year with an identity crisis. Like, it's kind of like this year started out wanting to be 1973 with presidential impeachments. And then it jumped back to 1918 with a pandemic. And then since then, it's been vacillating between the 60s and the 30s with racism and civil rights and then back to Great Depression vibes. All these things together in one year. Plus, uh, the current political climate is like no year before. Um, and then a million acres of California burns down to the ground. Just add that. And then on top of that, th- you right here. There are hundreds of stories of loss on this promenade right now. Personal loss, personal grief. High schoolers that didn't get to be applauded as they graduated. There's so many jobs and uncertainties. so much. Hundreds of stories. This is a time of loss. And uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, he, you know, 500 years ago, he had a word for this. In spirituality, it's it's called desolation. So, so Ignatius came up with these two buckets that are really helpful for people walking with God: consolation and desolation. There are two ways that we come to God, really. And uh, basically, Ignatius took the storm of our feelings and emotions and put them in those two buckets. Consolation, it describes the feelings that move us toward. God and toward others, and it's when you're grateful, and it's when you're around the table saying what you're grateful for at Thanksgiving, and it's faith and hope and love, and it leads you to peace. And it's commonly experienced as like joy. Consolation is part of walking with Jesus, and it, it can include sadness because sometimes these sad feelings are welcome, and they make us grateful for what we have. Um, the other category, though, is desolation. So you have consolation, and then you have desolation. And, and desolation takes us away. It wants to take us away from God and others. That's its goal. And it's commonly experienced as anxiety and restlessness and, and doubt and anger, and it often includes pride and lust and self-centeredness. One of the sure signs of desolation is spiritual laziness. Like usually if you're in desolation, um, <clears throat> you're not naturally inclined to pray. God seems nowhere to be found, and it's not worth the trouble to, like, make contact with him. Maybe 2020 has been a year of desolation for you. The chances are that that's true. Consolation feels like coming home, and desolation feels like you lost your way. And this is where it becomes very helpful, I think. This is where Ignatius of Loyola was brilliant, um... because when we experience consolation, his whole, his whole instruction, stay the course, keep doing your thing, you're doing it. <laughs> if you're experiencing consolation, if you're experiencing gratitude in the presence of God, keep leaning into whatever that is. That was his instruction. And when you experience desolation, it's, it's, it's also simple, but it's the opposite. It's don't stay the course, change it. Change your course. Maybe it's a mental course, mindset. Maybe it's a discipline of prayer you've neglected, or community, or scripture reading. Change the course through prayer, discernment, spiritual direction when you're experiencing desolation. And ultimately, quiet your heart, sit with the Holy Spirit, and ask the Spirit when you're in desolation, God, what were you up to there? Bring God into that desolation. Because He was there already. It's just we that need to change our course. So, as many of you know, Sandy and I have not been present the last uh, few weeks. And again, thanks for praying for Sandy's health. Uh, The dust is finally settling. As of last week, things in our home have begun to return to normal. Um, We're very much still needing healing. Um, And so we're bringing you in. This has probably been the most difficult and strange month of our lives. And it started, I'll just, I'll just tell a story, I guess. It started in July with a very unexpected pregnancy. <laughs> um, so after the, first, after the first two weeks of shock, we were thrilled. Okay? We brought our kids into it. And, um, and our August vacation was basically us dreaming with our five kids about what six would be like. <laughs> Like, what is going on right now? Like, we, what is this sixth kid? What is happening in our world? This is insanity. We have a 1,500-square-foot house, but a 12-passenger van, so we're good there. Um, we have the Sprinter. So the kids are pumped, you guys. We're on vacation. We're dreaming, and Sandy's puking every day. Everything's awesome. And everything's going great. Morning sickness, good signs, not fun for her. But uh, she's actually here, which is amazing. It's so good. She just—this was her goal, to be here. Yeah. So, so Sandy was entering the second trimester, and you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna kind of go there with you today. We're gonna take you with us in the story. So, second trimester, perfectly healthy baby, um, and Sandy's health just starts declining, and the doctors discover an uh, an abnormally large. Uh, broken blood vessel in her womb that won't heal and, and so the doctors are scratching their heads because our, our baby is growing beautifully for weeks going beautifully alongside tremendous bleeding um, normally there's a give one way or the other and so this was a this was a, a, this was a problem um, so meanwhile Sandy's lost up almost 30-40% of her blood volume and so there's a, there's a span where she had to go to the ER four times in two weeks for multiple iron infusions and a blood transfusion. And on top of it all, uh, Sandy had to go through it alone, like COVID, guys. I can't go, I can't be there. So she's days on end in basically solitary confinement with really nice nurses and, um, and, fa- and FaceTime with us through, through so much pain and uncertainty. Um, and, and by the way, I get, 100% get the need to protect those who are saving lives in the medical profession. So I totally get the ban, 100% on visitors. Uh, but having lived through it, I'm not being physically present with my wife during her moment of greatest physical, emotional pain, tremendous. And the doctors kept saying two things. Number one, how rarely they see this specific situation. And number two, that we should essentially strongly consider stopping our our baby's heartbeat to save my wife's and and so what do you do with that like what do you do when ultrasound after ultrasound there's there's more there's more features on this this person and a heartbeat is stronger and stronger and um, more and more blood and, and neither one seems to be resolving they're both and the doctor just said, oh, Yeah, this is hard. Literally, quote, this would be so much easier if the baby didn't have a heartbeat. I'm sorry, what do you want to do? And so we just kind of lived in that darkness for a couple of weeks. Um, and Sandy's blood count got so low that our prayer became, Lord, okay, either miraculously heal, we just on this in church we believe you can do this either miraculously heal or take our baby yourself. And um and so during this time of of I don't know if you call it grief was definitely was part of it. And one of our other prayers was God how do we bring our kids into this? Like on vacation we were pumped. Like dreaming about this and then coming back from vacation and not really knowing which way it was going to fall and everybody sees Mom going in and out of the hospital. We have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we have 12, 15, and 18-year-old. How do we shepherd this moment for our family? Um, So by this time, the older kids knew the baby was probably not going to make it. None of them knew the gender yet. So towards the end, we found out the gender. So Sandy and I sensed the spirit leading us to do like an intimate family gender reveal cake celebration of life intense pastoral moment with our kids uh, with the advice of spiritual directors and pastors in our life, they're like yeah just celebrate life, celebrate your fight for life, celebrate the life that is and, and bring your kids into the process of hope in Christ and do it, and do it with, with a, color, a colored cake um, so we did and before we cut into the cake and showed uh, the pink frosting, uh, we sat down with our kids around the table and we prayed, we prayed for Mom. Um, and then I read Psalm 139, the same Psalm we read together today. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I, you know, stop to ask Harper or River, like, hey, wh- what does that mean to you? What is happening? I'm like, well, and they'd feed back, and, and my frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all of these things, and when I, when I, when I awake, I'm still with you. And I, and I explained you know, how Jesus loves us. He loves us so much, and how much he loves the baby in mommy's tummy, and sometimes— Sometimes, and I'm talking to my kids, sometimes a really sad thing happens, and a baby can't stay in mommy's tummy long enough, and so Jesus brings that baby to himself, and that's what's happening right now in mommy's tummy, and, and Jesus is going to bring this baby to him. I don't know what it looks like. The New Testament is surprisingly silent on that process. <laughs> But Jesus is going to bring this baby to him. And it makes Jesus so sad that our family won't get to see this baby be born. But guess what? I'm still talking to the kids. And it came to me in the moment. I didn't plan this part. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Like, but guess what? Do you, do you guys know why we follow Jesus? And they, you know, they answered. I forget what they said. Um, probably great answers but I had an answer for them. Um, Do you know why we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus, Harper, because Jesus is the only one strong enough to bring all the dead people and all the living people together again forever. He's the only one strong enough to do that. He's gonna do that. Everyone who follows Jesus and every baby that's ever died is going to be raised back to life, and we will be with Jesus forever. And that, you guys, kids, that means when Jesus comes, he's going to bring this baby. (laughs) He's going to bring this baby, and we're going to meet this person, and guess what else? And I, like, pulled out the cake. Like, guess what else? We found out if it's a brother or sister. Do you want to know? Do you want to know who you're going to meet? And uh, they're like, cake! Cake! Uh, it's, well, the five-year-old just answered with cake. Um, and so we cut the cake. They saw the, the pink frosting, and I watched all their brains start processing. Um, they were convinced. Unanimously, it was a boy. It was just four to one chance, you know. So uh, they were convinced and wrong. Um, so their brains start processing. I see them, like, go quick, a quick smile into, like, more processing. And then just silence. They all just kind of zoned out. Like, hey, who wants a piece? And and so we passed them out and started eating the cake together with some tears and some celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And then just some straight up wondering, like, what would another girl be like in this house? What would that have been like? Like, Harper's so much right now. (laughs) Like, what would double Harper be? That's insane. What would that have even been like? We're going to know someday. And from that night on, Sandy's health continued to decline dangerously. And so, you know, after much prayer and crying and wisdom from our community and from doctors here in, your, in this church, can't thank enough the medical professionals in this church who have advocated for us and, and spoken into this moment as spiritual brothers and sisters, um, just like how to move forward with a decision in this moment that seems to be never-ending hell. Um, With all of that wisdom, we we set a date. We set a date for a surgery uh, that would interrupt the pregnancy to save my wife's life. A decision no one should ever have to make, no one is supposed to make. And so the day of the procedure came, and this is, this is our story, this isn't the way it always happens, but it, when the day of the procedure came, the morning of, God showed mercy, you guys. As we are walking into the hospital doors, God took the baby himself. Not exaggerating. And now, you know, you never, yeah, I, right away, I want to acknowledge right now, this is a big crowd, this is a big group, and I would acknowledge those of you here who have had unimaginable, complex, painful experiences involving medical decisions, and there was no relief for you in that moment. I acknowledge you. The Spirit sees you. The God of all comfort is for you. Shame does not belong in your sphere as a daughter or son of God. Um, and, and I want to acknowledge those of you where there was no relief the whole way down in the moment. And it was complex and it hurt. I do not presume to know your specific pain, but please allow me to speak directly to your heart. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit a title, comforter. That's that's the Holy Spirit's title from Jesus. He's the comforter. That's his job. And he's here. He's in the local church. He's at the bread and cup. He's he's in the moment that we eat and drink the juice peel back lid thing that we're going to eat. The spirit, the comforter, you guys. The comforter is here the comforter who's addicted to being wherever the mess is from the second line of the Bible. He's here hovering over chaos, literally dying through Jesus to bring you into his family. So, um, this is the call today to bring your desolation to God. Bring your mess. I'm a Sandy and I are a mess right now, like nightmares and night sweats still, like, but we're going to, we're going to come, we're going to come to the table with you as a mess, because where else, where else do we go? The meal of Jesus. Sandy and I are bringing you in this story, not because we're all healed and feeling great, but because the opposite, um, and we have no choice right now but to bet everything we have on a God who entered willingly our mess uh, to be with us in it and then to knowingly be reje- he, we rejected him and to absorb our rejection and, and absorb all of our mess into himself and then beat death. He beat death so that, listen, so we can get our bodies back. <laughs> all of us get our bodies back. All our babies and all of our parents get our bodies back, and we get the bodies we wished we had but never could, (laughs) actually. We get our lives back. We get to dance and sing, hug, play, eat and drink, create, work, and live, and all of that together forever. We're a mess right now, but we're banking on the resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, all who follow him will rise bodily from the dead, you guys. This is the confession of the Christian church from the beginning. But until then, until the resurrection, you guys, the Wickham family is leaning hard into the Comforter. He's here and he loves the mess. He's been hovering over the mess since the beginning of time. So we're bringing our desolation to God this week. This is part of what you're, you're going to be uh, talking through in community. Uh, Aaliyah had the community leaders pray through desolation and consolation last night in our community leaders meeting. We do the same thing in community. We are a church that doesn't just do this, you guys. It's easy to hide here. It's easy to hide your messes here. Uh, community is the place where it all becomes open to healing, really, open to healing, open to one another, and open to the spirit. So if you're not part of a community, uh, join one and participate in the healing of Jesus. So this is why it's so important to understand God's love. If we know God loves us, if you know God loves you no matter what, despite your mess, then you know he's present with you and working in your lives in those moments of mess. And pain and grief. And that moment, you guys, that Sandy and I walked through the emergency room doors and 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 God took the baby all in one dramatic moment, like, that, that wasn't the end. Um, Sandy had two emergency surgeries and a blood transfusion and because the, the first surgery didn't work to stop the bleeding after even that. And so the second one was the hysterectomy. And then we're sort of just shell-shocked, all in one giant fell swoop month. Um... We're a mess. We're desolation. There's so much about this that makes me never want to pray again. And yet, because we trust Jesus and we believe Jesus loves his church (laughs) and we trust the Spirit to carry us through, because of all that, we lean hard on our community and prayer and scripture and wise mentors and you guys. I don't, You know, we don't know. It's impossible for all these relationships to be fully intimate. But we come trusting that the Spirit is doing something beyond the physical, uniting us physically but beyond as we eat and drink the meal of Jesus and bring our mess to the table. I'm going to read that moment from Matthew 26 and then we're going to eat and drink. There was a mess brewing at Jesus' communion table with Judas And Jesus still fed Judas you guys and Jesus said while they were eating Jesus took bread and when he given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take eat This is my body Then he took a cup and when he gave thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you This is my blood of the covenant you guys the promise he makes which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin And Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is holding out. He's going to be with us and he's going to make all things new at the same time he raises the glass. He's going to clean up our messes (laughs) and the messes we don't even know how to address. The systemic messes created by millions of people behaving wrongly. Jesus is going to make every sad thing come untrue. The personal, deeply intimate, pain, the individual losses, we we come to the table with them, because we we have, where else do we go? Where else is there? We're desperate in our desolation, and we thank God for the moments of consolation and comfort, which seem to be fewer and further between in 2020. And so can we do that together? Um... Notice there's not a a super clean wrap up to this sermon other than I'm hungry for Jesus and I'm gonna eat and drink with my family today. We're gonna come to 1 Corinthians 6 next week because that family back then was dealing with issues that we still deal with. But today we're stopping and we're saying, Holy Spirit, hover and cover us today. Take us, we pray, take us into your future. Heavenly Father, you are good, you're kind. And we need goodness and kindness right now. We need a lot more of it in us, in our society. And so Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you wash us in your love as we eat and drink? In fact, let's eat and drink now. We're gonna sing two songs because after Jesus and his disciples ate and drank, verse 30 says, when they sung a hymn, they went out. So we're gonna eat and drink now and we're gonna sing a couple of songs. So feel free to open up your cup. This is the body of Christ that absorbed every bit of our mess. Yeah, go ahead and eat the body. He's here. It all belongs at the meal of Jesus. And they said, this is my blood poured out for you. It's, it's based in a promise in my character that I will not fail you. I didn't fail Israel, even though they failed me a bunch of times. <laughs> and I've never failed you and will never. Uh, so remain in me. Stick with me. Where else, where else is there? Where, where else? And so uh, go ahead and drink. This is the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is hovering and covering the mess.